Welcome to the Aspiring Cinephile. I'm your host, Zach Watts, and I am so excited that you guys are joining me this week. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun seeing support kind of growing over the last few weeks uh, as I've been rolling this out. So uh, thank you, thank you for anyone that has reached out and and the kind words and and thoughts. It it does mean the world, so thank you, thank you. Uh, The show's available on most major podcast platforms right now. Still waiting. Uh, I guess everybody is waiting. Uh, Anybody that's trying to start a new podcast that isn't you know, a really big name, there is just a massive backlog of people trying to get onto Apple Podcasts. It's, I've reached out to support a few times to see when I can expect it, and I just keep getting told to to hurry up and wait. So hopefully it will be on Apple Podcasts soon, um, but it should be pretty much anywhere else that you listen to pods. So thank you, thank you. This week's episode is another List of Shame episode. Uh, we'll be doing the film Michael Clayton, a 2007 film. Uh, but before we get into that, I have a couple items of business, mainly corrections uh, on things that I've said um, in previous episode, uh, the episode with James. I totally blew a couple things, so I wanted to address those quickly before getting in. The first of which is that uh, when we were talking about Marriage Story, I talked about a scene that Scarlett Johansson has where she gives a monologue uh, and she's talking to, and I said Laura Linney. She is not in that film. It is Laura Dern that I was talking about. Two very different people. So yeah, that was a tough one. That was definitely on me. And so wanted to to call out that I know that that's not Laura Linney. It's Laura Dern. Uh, So apologies uh, there. Uh, And I'm sure, you know, Laura Dern, avid listener, I I feel bad. You know, I had to address this uh, for her, but Laura Dern, not Laura Linney. Blew that. The other thing I blew was talking about how I'd read an article where Kevin Feige had said they weren't going to release a Spider-Man trailer, and then this week they released the first Spider-Man trailer. Turns out um, I got baited by an aggregator article. He was making a joke uh, that got translated in, you know, some aggregator, news aggregator had pulled uh, a sarcastic comment that Kevin Feige made. And, and made it into a headline and an article um, that I got totally baited and outsmarted by. So, obviously, that was wrong. They are releasing Spider-Man trailers. One came out this week, and I have to say, it looks really awesome. I really can't wait for this Spider-Man movie and, and everything that's going to happen um, in the multiverse. It's it's extremely exciting. So, um, but yeah, that was the other thing I had, you know, that was just a glaring miss. So, lesson learned. Uh double, triple check uh, the full interview or source before saying something on a podcast to people. So (laughs) a bit of egg on my face there, but nonetheless, we come through and and we're okay. But the other item of business I wanted to to touch on just before we get into the episode, so sorry for being uh, no episode coming out last week. I was on a family vacation and uh, I just couldn't get one pulled together quite in time to get out so uh, apologies maybe we'll try and sneak in like a bonus episode in the next week or so uh, to make up for it but uh, my apologies for not having an episode last week I don't make plan on making that a habit uh, but we'll press on so thank you for your patience all right let's get into the subject of today's uh, today's episode the film Michael Clayton this is uh, before we jump into anything else just blanket spoiler warning, if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want it spoiled at all, uh, I'll be talking about the entire movie 
you know, we'll be we'll be spoiling it because this is a recap episode. So, yeah, if you don't want it spoiled and you want to watch it for yourself, pause it now and and watch it and then come back to the episode. If you just want to hear my voice talk about something and you don't care that uh, the movie will be spoiled, then please continue on. So, Michael Clayton. Uh, this film was released in 2007, an amazing year for movies. Um, just s- some of some of the best movies ever came out in 2007. Really, a, a fantastic year, and and a few more, a couple more list of shame episodes uh, forthcoming uh, with movies from the year 2007, namely Paul Thomas Anderson's masterpiece There Will Be Blood, which I have never seen. So, ooh, yikes! But uh, I digress. This movie came out in 2007. It was directed, written and directed by Tony Gilroy. And it stars George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Tom Wilkinson. I uh, couldn't see what the budget was, but it, you know, it, I assume it was a pretty low budget. And it made $92 million uh, in the global box office. So pretty successful for a movie of this scale, this size. Was this movie on the IMDb top 250 list no it was not Uh, it was also not on the letterboxd top 250 our other list check is the poster Uh, is it on the poster that's hanging in my office it is not so you may be asking why then is this a list of shame movie uh, if it's not on any of these kind of top lists Uh, the reason that this movie is on the list of shame and that i felt such an urgent need to, to talk about it uh, is that it was uh, so on the the big picture podcast uh, a ringer podcast network uh, podcast probably you know one of my two or three favorite podcasts out there and a, and a huge inspiration for me starting this podcast it is one of the hosts of that show's favorite films and they were doing they were talking about movies from 2007 they were doing a movie draft they call it where they they all draft movies from the year 2007 into different categories. Really fun. If you like movies and you're not listening to the big picture, please go listen to that podcast in addition to this one. It's it's incredible. Uh, but during that episode, uh, they, they said, you know, the, the first pick in the draft was the film Michael Clayton. And they love it. And they one of the hosts... Uh, said, if you haven't seen this movie, then why are you listening to this podcast? And uh, that was enough for me. So I, of course, finished that episode, but then uh, as soon as I could, I went and uh, rented Michael Clayton on Amazon Video and watched it, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry, I, I normally talk about how I felt about it at the end. I'll, I'll save my full thoughts for the end, but uh, yeah, uh, this movie's awesome. So that was that was the reason it was on the list of shame, and immediately jumped to the top because uh, I didn't want to feel guilty about listening to the big picture anymore because they literally said if you haven't seen this, why are you listening to this podcast? So here we are. That is why I considered this to be uh, on the list of shame. First item of business that we always do on the list of shame episodes: uh, we do a recap of the movie. And here we. Go. This film a little a little more straightforward than uh, our last list of shame episode was Pulp Fiction. That recap was a little more in depth. Let's dig in. We we open 
Uh, there's voiceover from Tom Wilkinson's character Arthur. Uh, it's it's late at night in New York City, and you and you enter into a, a law firm high rise uh, in New York City, and during this voiceover, you're kind of working your way up, and you end up in a room uh, with a lot of lawyers, probably. 50, 100 people, it seems like, working pretty manically. They're trying to do a settlement for, for one of their big clients, um, and, and you don't know really much about what's going on. It's, it's kind of hazy. Uh, and then, uh, but that introduces you know, the, us to the law firm, uh, and then we, we cut to a, an underground poker game where we meet our title character, played by George Clooney, and he's playing cards. He's getting kind of razzed by another player at the table you can tell that there's a past here he gets a phone call he leaves the person on the phone is is asking him for his help uh their their co-workers and you know another guy that works at the law firm who has a client uh that just hit somebody with his car and is asking michael clayton uh, to go and and help sort out the situation and so we learn from this, you know, this exchange, obviously, that Michael Clayton is a fixer, is the term uh, that's most often used. Somebody that goes and, and, you know, fixes problems, cleans up messes, and especially for high-powered clients of, of this big law firm. So he's a fixer for this law firm. He goes up, this guy that is this client, uh, obviously very wealthy, up in upstate New York. He meets with this guy who uh, was just driving negligently. He wasn't... Uh, he wasn't drunk, but he he hits somebody with his car, and Michael Clayton uh, is basically telling him, uh, "There's nothing really that I can do." Uh, and one of the best lines in the movie actually comes out right here. What if someone has stolen the car? Huh? Happens all the time. Cops like hit and runs. They work them hard. They clear them fast. Right now, there's a BCI unit pulling paint chips off a guardrail. Tomorrow, they're going to be looking for the owner of a custom-painted, hand-rubbed Jaguar XJ-12. And the guy you hit, if you got to look at the plates, it won't even take that long. There's no play here. There's no angle. There's no champagne room. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm a janitor. The math on this is simple. The smaller the mess, the easier it is for me to clean up. That's the police, isn't it? No. They don't call. Just just great stuff from Clooney. Sets the tone on his character. He's great in this movie. Oh my gosh, just wonderful. One of his best performances. Uh, his best that I've ever seen. Uh, but I haven't seen all those movies, so I can't definitively say. Uh, but he's really, really great in this movie. He then leaves... Leaves there, he's driving, and you can tell he's, you know, he kind of turns off and he's just driving really fast, clearly upset by, by this experience. He comes across uh, on the side of the road, he stops and gets out, and you see there's three horses at the top of a hill. And he stops and he gets out, and he goes up and he's looking at these horses. And then all of a sudden, behind him, his car explodes, and then we cut to uh, the title card that says four days earlier. We go back four days, uh, and we start, and this is where we get the day in the life of, of Michael Clayton, establishing uh, him uh, and his his personal life and, and his professional life. So we we open up uh, on, a, on a kid's room. We find out that this is George Clooney's son, uh, who uh, is obsessed with this book, Realm and Conquest, a big nerd. He's looking for his deck of 
cards. They're not Pokemon cards, but same kind of idea, uh, trading cards. Uh, and then he and he gets picked up by George Clooney at the house. So uh, you know he's a divorced dad, drives his son to school, and then we we follow Michael Clayton. We discover that he's uh, a bit down on his luck. He he tried opening up a, a restaurant and. Uh, he took out a loan from it seems like some kind of sketchy people, uh, and he needs seventy-five thousand dollars to pay them back. Uh, the restaurant tanked. Uh, we learn that uh, he went into business with his brother, who uh, was a recovering cocaine addict, uh, and that he had fallen off the wagon. Kind of gets screwed over by his brother, uh, and he's trying to come up with this money. Uh, he looks like somebody that would have that kind of money. We find out that he's was a, a gambling addict himself. He's he's having a hard time coming up with the $75,000. We follow him into work. Uh, he works at a high-powered law firm. He works directly with one of the heads of the law firm, one of the partners. Uh, the character's name is Marty Bach. He's played by Sidney Pollock. We discover at the, at the end of his workday uh, that one of the top partners in the firm has gone absolutely crazy basically and and stripped naked during a deposition hearing and went running out into a parking lot uh, we find out this character is arthur edens he's played by tom wilkinson who is also absolutely stellar in this film we get to milwaukee we see the video of the deposition being viewed by the character karen crowder who uh, is played by tilda swinton who won the oscar for best supporting actress for her role in this film she's absolutely great she's watching this video in horror uh we find out that she is uh, the chief legal counsel for one of the firm that michael and arthur and everyone we've met works for their law firm uh one of their most important clients and they are tied up in the middle of a, a three billion dollar class action lawsuit claiming that their product uh, the company's called you north and they have uh basically a weed killer that is killing people and that's what the lawsuit is about we realize that uh arthur edens is a, a manic depressive uh, he is on medication that he has stopped taking which uh, in part led to his episode uh, but we also as we dig in deeper with him discover that he is he has realized he's found a piece of information signed by one of the the powerful executives at the company U North uh, that that they knew that their product uh, would be a danger to people uh, and they did nothing about it and continued to sell it anyway. So he has been working for we find out about six years on a case uh, for a client that is knowingly guilty and uh, this kind of leads to him him snapping. We dig into Michael Clayton's relationship to Arthur. We we discover that they're uh, they have a really close friendship, and and Michael's is legitimately just trying to help him to get better uh, and not just make the problem go away. Making the problem goes go away ends up uh, in the hands of of Tilda Swinton. That becomes her job during this uh, as the chief counsel for U North. She discovers that. Arthur has a valuable document, the, the memo that is signed by Don Jeffries, who is the high-ranking executive that uh, acknowledges they knew that, the, that their product would be harmful to, to people, and 
Uh, once she discovers that he has this document, she hires some shady characters to to follow him, to tap his phone, uh, to surveil him. She discovers that he is actually communicating with one of the plaintiffs in the case. He has information that will win them the case, and he's going to show it to her. Tilda Swinton can't let that happen. And so she makes the decision to, to have him killed by these shady black ops guys. I don't know how to describe them, but they're just, they're, they're shady dudes that they're kind of like the extreme version of Michael Clayton uh, fixers, but they, they take, you know, he's, they have a line in there where they say we only deal in, in absolutes. So kind of like Sith Lords, basically they take care of the problem, but with, there's only one method to do that. And it was to kill Arthur. They make it look like it was a suicide and this is where things kind of really start to unravel for for Michael and, and his conscience. He's he's kind of been on this this journey, you can tell, and and he has a lot of connections to police. As we find out that his brother is a cop, so there's a there's a moral code there. He worked in the in the district attorney's office uh, in Queens, New York. So we know that he has a, a sense of of justice and, and a sense of right and wrong. And the years, it seems, of, of being a fixer for this high-powered uh, law firm is uh, starting to weigh on him. Uh, and you see this throughout the film. And it starts to really come to a head uh, when when Arthur is assumed to have committed suicide, but uh, he thinks there's something fishy with it. He ends up going to investigate this. He finds out. He he uncovers everything that, that Arthur had uh, uncovered about you north and uh, he discovers that that Arthur was in fact killed and not he did not commit suicide but upon this discovery uh, the shady guys that were following Arthur are still surveilling his uh, apartment and they catch on to Michael Clayton figuring everything out and so then they have to also deal with Michael Clayton and so then we get to our our time jump we catch back up we see these two guys that killed Arthur and have now been following Michael sitting outside of uh, where the underground poker game was they plant a car bomb in his car and then uh, they're following him up to uh, answer that call uh, that he received in upstate New York about the guy who had hit somebody with his car uh, where he said I'm a so we get caught up uh, and so now we know who planted the car bomb why it's there uh, so after this huge event he rushes down, he puts his personal belongings, like he throws his watch, wallet, things in there, so it would make it look like he was killed in the bombing, and then he runs away. We see him get picked up by one of his brothers, and then we flash to Tilda Swinton. She is uh, with the board of directors for U North, and, and they have rushed uh, into a settlement agreement, and she is giving her reasoning as to why you north should settle the lawsuit uh being filed against them and uh they're they're going to to push through a 600 million dollar settlement and then as she walks out as the board of directors is about to vote um she leaves the room and who does she see standing out in the lobby other than michael clayton who she thought was dead uh, because she had ordered him to to be killed by these people so she's shocked and we get uh one of the greatest wrap-up scenes in like any movie ever i mean it's a very kind of john grisham type of vibe if you read a lot of john grisham stuff or have seen movies based on john grisham novels it's 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 a very similar kind of vibe we get a very satisfying ending 
with George Clooney uh, getting to uh, entrap Tilda Swinton in basically a little mini sting operation uh, where she agrees to, to pay him $10 million to not say anything, uh, to buy him off, and basically admits to, to killing Arthur and to knowing that you North is in the wrong and that, uh, that she ordered these terrible things to happen. Uh, Michael Clayton uh, tells her that she's screwed and walks out and then we re we see the new york police department is there he he has a cell phone out that was recording um that he gives to his brother asks did you, did, you know did you get all that yep and and then he goes and uh, the last shot of the movie is him getting into a taxi cab handing the driver 50 bucks and saying just drive contemplating uh, everything that he just that he just did that's the basic recap there's a lot more detail in there that's kind of the basic recap of the film so now let's dig into some of our categories. The first one being favorite scene. Can't make the scene if you don't have the green. It's kind of an obvious choice, so I'll give this one and then uh, kind of an honorable mention. Uh, but my favorite scene is the end. I mean, the, the wrap-up, you know, him confronting Tilda Swinton. Don't you know who I am? I'm a fixer. I'm a bag man. I do everything from shoplifting housewives to bent congressmen, and you're going to kill me? What do you need? Karen, lay it on me. You want a carry permit? You want a heads up on an insider trading subpoena? I sold out Arthur for 80 grand and a three-year contract and you're gonna kill me? What do you want? What do I want? I want more. I want out. And with this, I want everything. Is there a number? 10 is a number. 10? 10 what? Ten million? Where do you think where do you think I'm gonna get ten million dollars? You know what's great about this? Did you read it all the way to the end? You see who signed it? Let's go into that ballroom and ask Don Jeffries if he wants to pass the hat for a worthy cause. This would have to be a longer conversation mm -hmm. and it and would have to take place somewhere else. Where? My car? Alright. I'm gonna make it easy. Let's make it five. Five, and I'll forget about Arthur. Five is easier. Yeah, five is something we, we could talk about. Good. And then the other five is to forget about the 468 people that you knocked off with your weed killer. Let me finish up this meeting. I'll talk to Do Don. I look like I'm negotiating? That whole that whole exchange uh, is, is so well done and extremely, extremely satisfying. George Clooney is just... Uh, absolutely great in the scene and, and Tilda Swinton uh, is so good too in, in her kind of her realization of everything that she's done and scrambling doing any you know this desperation to uh, to not have anybody find out about what she's done uh, is uh, is played so well and it's it's just a great a great scene my other favorite scene Actually, the the scene uh, near the near the beginning where he's uh, talking to uh, just the total d bag guy that that hit hit somebody with his car, kind of introducing Michael Clayton as a character. But that whole scene uh, and his "I'm not a miracle worker, I'm a janitor" line and and all that stuff is so well done and such a great introduction to a character. I just I absolutely loved that. So kind of the beginning and the end, my two favorite scenes. There's a lot of other great stuff. Um, throughout he has a couple there's a couple scenes with George Clooney and Tom Wilkinson 
uh, in the middle of the film that are that are great. Some great dialogue, that's for sure. But yeah, those are two standouts for me. Best performance. Hey, Stella! I mean, it's got to go for me to George Clooney. It's my favorite thing I've ever seen him do. Um, I think, you know, he is. And I was watching this with with Sarah and. Uh, it was interesting. She said it's you know it's it's weird to see George Clooney not being basically his character from Ocean's Eleven or like every other movie that he's done, like being just super suave, Mister Cool guy. Seeing somebody that's kind of you know he he has those characteristics because he's George Clooney. It's impossible to not see that, but but he really does a great job of playing a guy that's down on his luck, uh, that's a little more gruff, um, that kind of thing. But uh, but still belongs in this high powered high-powered world uh, that he's existing in with this billion-dollar corporations. So I think uh, he is he is absolutely great in the film. Uh, but my, my other favorite great performance to me was um, Tom Wilkinson. He plays this manic-depressive, uh, bipolar character brilliantly, and his kind of snap, but then, you know, kind of him being the only one that really sees what's going on is is really an engaging and wonderful performance i would uh you know the only you know he's been in so many things the other thing you would you would recognize him from if you haven't seen the movie is uh he's carmine falcone in uh the batman begins uh this is a totally different role for him and he plays it uh equally as well or if you know he was he was really a standout in the film the next category what the heck was this about funny how i mean what's funny about <laughs> The, the glaring thing here to talk about, uh, the kind of the big, like, what the heck was this about? And it, Sarah really pointed out, too, when we watched it, was why does he stop and look at the horses at the beginning of the movie? And that that ends up being the, the thing that saves his life, because he gets out of the car before it explodes to go and, and look at these horses. So... I think there's a lot that goes into this uh, i think it's obviously it's a really important and meaningful scene in the film uh there's one obvious thing that i didn't catch so i actually watched this i loved this movie so much i watched it by myself one night and then while we still had it rented from amazon i told sarah you have to watch this movie with me uh it's it's so good and i watched it again the next night so back-to-back nights i watched this film uh, i absolutely loved it but uh, i didn't catch it the first time but the second time there is so there's this whole kind of sub kind of plot going on with there's this book called realm and conquest that george clooney's son is trying to get him to read it's a fantasy novel that he keeps talking about there's a scene where when henry george clooney's son in the movie is trying to to call his dad and he ends up actually talking to arthur uh, the crazy guy on the phone and he's telling him all about the book and going from there uh he ends up using some of the the stuff from that book um motivation to to go public with the information the memo he has about you north uh, that would bring them bring them down and absolutely uh ruin any chance they had of of winning their their lawsuit michael clayton after arthur dies he goes to his his house and uh, as he's going through things there he sees a copy of the book uh, the Roman Conquest book, which he also, you know, he obviously recognized from his son trying to get him to read it as well. And he picks it up and goes through, and one of the pictures actually is a horse at the top of a hill next to a big tree that pretty much, pretty closely mirrors the image, the, the scene that we see uh, when he stops and gets out to look at the horses. Now, there's only one horse in the picture in the book, and there's three uh, when he gets out and looks at them. 
in the film, but they're very similar. So I think that's kind of the literal, like, oh, you know, kind of a crazy coincidence. Uh, but I think there's a lot more going into that. I think, you know, he's when he's leaving that encounter with D-Bag Guy, because I do not remember the character's name, which is really bad of me, but that's what I'll refer to him as. He He's clearly having... Uh, a crisis of conscience and i think that's that's kind of what this movie sort of encapsulates is is how far are you really willing to go and we see all sorts of of different you know extremes obviously arthur has the lowest one of the lowest thresholds as as he's the first one to snap and go off the rails uh, seemingly uh, but also realizing that you know he's defending people that are knowingly guilty he's kind of the he's the first domino to fall right and and then we see everybody else's reactions obviously tilda swinton uh her character kind of shows the the other extreme of you know she's willing to have other people killed to protect herself and you know her image standing status her job all those things right she was willing to uh order people to be killed to cover up secrets uh, that would have looked bad for her so she's kind of the other end of the spectrum and then there's kind of you know there's people scattered throughout there's the the partners in the law firm the couple heads of the law firm marty bach uh being one of them who's pretty much just in it to you know he's in it for himself there's a scene where george clooney is is talking to him and saying you know what if you know what if arthur was right about all this like they're you know what if they're guilty and 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 marty just tells him yeah we've known you know this this case has stunk since since day one like that's this is not a surprise how do you think we we keep the bills paid around here sometimes you gotta you know basically deal with 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 bad people so he's he's in kind of a middle ground where it's you know for personal gain you know he he doesn't have anybody killed he does not reach the extremes that tilda swinton does um but he's certainly uh, and he even has a line uh after arthur's killed uh but it's, it's apparent suicide uh where he kind of basically tells george clooney's character that they caught a lucky break and that this would help in their situation with their client you north so you know he's more on the the darker end of the spectrum but a little lighter shade of gray we don't see him go to the full extremes and we are not led to believe that he would that we see Tilda Swinton's character go to and George Clooney's character Michael Clayton we we see him kind of take the journey throughout he starts out he's just part of the machine and as he's having these experiences and and things in his personal life kind of breaking down around him and, and realizing what's was really important in life uh when everything can kind of be taken from you and out of your control you can tell that he's kind of reassessing in his own life what's truly important what matters to me and the peak of this kind of crisis of of conscience uh comes when when he has this interaction with the total d-bag guy uh, and he's driving away from there so he's he's in a clear kind of crisis state individually and then when you're in that kind of zone and then you see something so crazy as that to see these just three like majestic horses at the top of this hill it kind of becomes like a sign right like and whatever belief system you may have sign from god a sign from the universe whatever that is but it's it's clearly an act of god kind of moment and i think him choosing to get out of the car and acknowledge it you know obviously if he had stayed in the car he would have died you know if he had gone on with being okay with with all these actions that people around him were taking 
then that makes him just as bad as all of them, right? But choosing to get out and acknowledge this kind of crazy coincidence is what ends up saving his life. So I think there's a lot wrapped up into that moment, but I, I that's that's what I think that was the the heck that was about. But I uh, and I really actually I absolutely love that moment and and getting to think about it and and formulate kind of thoughts around what it all means. A really a really well done moment in the film. I. I think it's absolutely absolutely brilliant. All right, let's get into one of my favorite parts. This is the the reaction to the critical reception to the film. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and themselves to our judgment. This had a, a score of 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, so there's not a lot of negative out there, but there was a couple quotes that I saw from from articles that I thought would be fun to highlight. Rex Reed from The Observer said, Michael Clayton literally knocks its brains out trying to be clever, but it ends up being the same kind of smart-alecky filmmaking most of Mr. Clooney's movies are famous for. <laughs> I think Rex woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something, or maybe he hates George Clooney. I don't know what his deal is, but I, I totally got the exact opposite from this. I thought... Uh, it was not smart alecky filmmaking or or that George Clooney was playing a character uh, like he normally does. I thought it was uh, something very different for him and that he did very well. I mean, it's not like crazy outside of his wheelhouse, but it was different enough that I thought it was a really honest, vulnerable you know, performance from him that I really enjoyed. So uh, Rex Reed, kind of a hater, um, not, not a fan, uh, seemingly of George Clooney or the types of movies that he makes. And I, I don't think this is like... It's not Ocean's Eleven, and I think Ocean's Eleven is also a brilliant film, uh, but it's, it's a very different very different vibe. We have another gem from uh, Bruce Bennett of The Spectrum, actually in St. George, Utah. Bruce Bennett says, Michael Clayton wants it both ways. It requires smarts to understand what's going on, and a lack of smarts to care and not be able to predict the outcome and gave it a, a C plus. He does a looks like an A to F rating scale as opposed to the uh, five star scale or four star scale. So I, I I disagree with Bruce. I mean I think I mean obviously the movie is kind of predictable, right? I mean that's that's true, but it doesn't mean that you're you know it's a, a lack of smarts to care and not be able to predict the outcome. I mean I think. Obviously, it wouldn't be a satisfying film if he ended up just being fine with everything and and, uh, taking a big payout and then something bad happening to him. I mean, it's a satisfying film because of that journey that that Michael Clayton takes, right? And he has the options presented to him and he makes the the right choice. Um, So I think it's a smart film uh, and I think that even though it may have a predictable ending, that doesn't mean it's a bad a bad film. So I think this is kind of a tough take from our guy Bruce here. Every movie does not have to have like a twist or have, you know, some kind of unpredictable outcome for it to, to be smart or good. Some of the greatest stories told, you know, what's going to happen at the end uh, from the beginning. And, and there's things along the way, you know, and there's thrilling moments along the way in this film where you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know that Arthur's going to get killed uh, and seeing everybody's reactions to that event, you know, things like that. So sorry, Bruce, but I'm not, not with you on this one. And actually this is uh, this is a great lead into, you know, I like to 
to read, uh, especially uh, Roger Ebert's uh, reviews. I think he's just the best. And so any movies that we have uh, that he has reviews of, I, I probably will end up reading on this show. And, and there's a, a tidbit from this that um, I thought was great uh, and kind of, in a way, kind of counters what our boy Bruce was saying uh, just a minute ago. So Roger Ebert says in his review, I don't know what vast significance Michael Clayton has. It involves deadly pollution, but it isn't a message movie. But I know it is just about perfect as an exercise in the genre. I've seen it twice, and the second time, knowing everything that would happen, I found it just as fascinating because of how well it was all shown happening. It's not about the destination, but the journey, and when the stakes become so high that lives and corporations are on the table, it's spellbinding to watch the Clooney and Swinton characters eye-to-eye, raising each other, both convinced that the other is bluffing. And that's what I was trying to say, much more eloquently said. Thank you, Roger. Uh, you know, that idea that, yeah, you know, you know it's not about the end. You, you know how the movie's going to end. It, but that journey to get to that moment and seeing all the things that, you know, both of these people have done on this journey and, and how their different choices have impacted their lives and their morality and seeing that final moment where they have the showdown with each other. Uh, is is absolutely thrilling and even though you know you know that whole time michael clayton is giving that speech to tilda swinton you know that it's he's trying to 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 get her to talk right and even though we hadn't had it revealed yet that you know you you know that because of how well we've seen the journey take place up to this point we know that he has you know seen the light for lack of a better phrase and, and that he's going to do the right thing so um Great observation by Roger here. Takes us to our final couple of of sections here. The first being uh, my final personal rating. I gave this on Letterboxd. Uh, I gave this five out of five stars. I think it's an absolutely brilliant piece of filmmaking. I think it's one of the best screenplays ever written. I mean, it's just from beginning to end. uh, There's no wasted space in the film. Everything has purpose. Everything is pretty much pretty much flawless i mean the performances are all brilliant and the script uh, is pretty much perfect i think it is perfect I, I really can't think of anything anything out of place or anything that you could remove or add to the movie that would make it better it's really really uh, fascinating and, and great to watch really good filmmaking on display so yeah i absolutely five out of five stars i would recommend it to anybody um there's a little language in some you know there's a couple of conversations that happen that are sexually obscene but that's really a very minor part of the film we're talking about two or three minutes out of an almost two hour movie um so i think you know if if you can handle being squeamish for a few minutes and handle some language it's a film that i think everybody should absolutely watch my final shame rating, scale of 1 to 10, how ashamed I am that I hadn't seen this film. Uh, it was going to be like a 10 because of the comments made on the Big Picture podcast, uh, but at the end of the day, um, I think my shame rating is at about a 6 on this, seeing that it, it wasn't on the IMDb Top 250 or the Letterbox Top 250, which I actually think is kind of a sham. I, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to dig in on that, and I'll be curious as we keep going along on this journey. Uh, and building out kind of my own personal lists. I mean, this this immediately skyrocketed. I was like, is this a top, this may be a top 25 movie for me now. Um, so, uh, but kind of realizing that, you know, it's, it's a really, it doesn't seem like it was as widespread of everybody has to see this movie as like There Will Be Blood also from that year, which is like 18th on the letterboxed list. And it's on the poster and it's, I think it's in the top 50 on the IMDb top 250 as well. So, and No Country for Old Men also comes out in 2007. 
And then another film I really love, Zodiac, uh, also comes out in 2007. So I think maybe it kind of got overshadowed in that year. I know it did for me. Yeah, I think so. I I think I I end up at a six on my shame rating. Still, you know, above an average level of shame, but not not quite to the same level as I was for Pulp Fiction, which is totally iconic. I mean, I don't think this has that same level of iconoclasm uh, as like Pulp Fiction did but a absolutely great film uh, one of my favorites that I've watched in quite a while and absolutely would recommend it to anybody and that's going to do it for this week's episode thank you so much for joining me just a reminder you can follow me on Twitter Instagram at ZMoneyWatts and also you can find me on Letterboxd my username is just Zach Watts on there I'll put all those links in the description just a reminder that you can submit movies for the list of shame if you have a suggestion for the list of shame please send it to aspiring cinephile at gmail.com or use the anchor voice message uh, there's a at the bottom of the description of the episode there's a, a link where you can leave a voice message if there's a, a movie that should be added to the list of shame and i'll play your voice message on the show and and, and any audience suggestions will get bumped up near the top of the list uh, of the list of shame and the link for all the movies that are in that list currently uh, is also in the description of the episode thank you so much for listening you guys have a great week and go watch some movies (laughs) 